Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Good afternoon, and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, an international nonprofit organization dedicated to providing support, education, and hope to people with cancer and their loved ones. Our services are offered at over 100 locations worldwide and online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. May is National Melanoma Awareness Month, and today we're devoting our entire episode to help raise awareness of one of the deadliest cancers that is actually on the rise amongst our younger population. There's much to discuss on today's show, but before we begin, let's move to a segment we call Cancer in the News, which highlights the latest cancer headlines. I'm Bill Schaefer, and this is today's Cancer in the News. A recent study reported that women who take part in a quick counseling session on breast self-examination, reinforced with a couple of follow-up calls, are more likely to perform the exams regularly. According to researchers, these brief intervention programs can be effective at encouraging self-screening for cancer and could easily be modified to target other screening practices, such as skin or testicular cancer screening, that are associated with reduced cancer morbidity and mortality. The researchers randomly assigned 616 women from ages 40 to 70, all of whom had negative mammograms in the previous two months, to the Breast Self-Examination Instruction Program or to a control group given nutrition advice on preventing cancer. The counseling session, which lasted 30 to 45 minutes, included instruction on how to do breast self-examinations, practicing using silicone models, and discussions about barriers women had to doing breast self-examinations and how to address these barriers. For example, many women said they didn't know what to do if they found a lump in their breast, and they got information on how to reach their HMO's breast health clinic. Women in both groups also got follow-up calls to check on their progress one and two months after the intervention. One year later, 59% of the women in the breast self-examination group reported examining their breasts for at least five minutes every month considered adequate breast self-examination performance compared to 12% of the women in the control group. Women who felt that they were at great risk of developing breast cancer were actually less likely than those who didn't believe they were at high risk to examine their breasts regularly, the researchers noted, although this finding wasn't statistically significant. This finding, they say, underscores the complexity of the relationship between self-care behaviors and perceived vulnerability to developing breast cancer. I'm Bill Schaefer, and that's this week's Cancer in the News. As I mentioned, May is National Melanoma Awareness Month. Skin cancer constitutes about half of all cancers, and while melanoma accounts for less than 5% of those skin cancer cases, it is responsible for a large majority of skin cancer deaths. We've all heard that we should wear sunscreen, wear a hat every day to avoid the sun's UV rays, but there's much more information you need to know in order to protect yourself and your loved ones from melanoma. The wellness community has collaborated with four leaders in the melanoma community, the Melanoma Research Foundation, the Melanoma International Foundation, 
AIM at Melanoma, and the Shade Foundation to create a free educational resource called Frankly Speaking About Cancer Treatment, Melanoma. This book provides practical tips and information to educate and empower people affected by melanoma to play an active role in their cancer treatment and improve their, the quality of their lives. Uh, today we are joined by three guests who are directly involved in the development of this piece. First, we have Catherine Poole. Catherine is an 18-year melanoma survivor and president and founder of the Melanoma International Foundation. MIF aims to ease the burden and bring hope to the journey of melanoma through patient support, early detection, education, and advocacy. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you. Next, we have Tim Turnham, Executive Director of the Melanoma Research Foundation. The Melanoma Research Foundation works to support medical research for finding effective treatments and eventually a cure for melanoma. They also educate patients and physicians about the prevention, diagnosis, and treatment of melanoma and advocate for the melanoma community to raise the awareness of this disease and the need for a cure. Thanks for being here, Tim. Thanks for having me, Kim. And last but not least, we have Suzanne McGettigan. Suzanne is an oncology nurse practitioner at the University of Pennsylvania Abramson Cancer Center. Suzanne was also a consultant on our Frankly Speaking About Cancer Melanoma piece. Welcome, Suzanne. Thanks, Kim. Glad we, to be here. We, great. We are really excited to have all of you here. I'm sure we're going to have a great discussion today. Um, Catherine, I'm going to start with you. Take us back to the day you received your diagnosis of melanoma. What was it like to receive uh, that news, and, and how did you proceed? How did you cope? Well, um, I got a phone call from my dermatologist, and um, she just basically said, you have melanoma, and I felt disembodied, actually, you know, sort of in shock when she said it. Um, I had no prior knowledge of melanoma. I had had something on my leg that, you know, didn't look right to me, and instinctively I I knew it was something bad, but just didn't know what exactly. I had a gut feeling it was malignant, but the local hospital I'd gone to was just sitting on my pathology and wasn't telling me anything. So I'd gone through a, a lot waiting to, you know, the waiting's the hardest part, yeah. frankly. But um, I was five months pregnant. Oh, my God. So my first concern was I would lose my baby yeah. and that um, I'd have to take chemo or something like that yeah. and that I would not be around uh, to see my two-year-old grow up. And so that was the, the first thought in my head. Um, to make matters worse, uh, my GP doc, who was a friend of mine, was scared to death. <laughs> he was, you know, <laughs> doctors aren't supposed to be afraid. And, you know, I called him up and I said, what do I do? And he was like, yikes. And um, so that, that sort of scared me further. Um, and what did you end up doing? Did you have to have surgery? Did you have treatment? What was the what was the approach? Well, I felt lucky. There really wasn't any chemo uh, that they could offer me, so um, that I was happy about because I just didn't want to do anything to compromise my baby. And I did have rather extensive surgery and a skin graft, and I did that. I insisted, and it took me a while to find the right surgeon who would do it under a local, but I didn't want general anesthesia, again, because of the baby. And um, so it was, you know, quite a procedure that I was rushed into having, and then I was on crutches through the rest of my pregnancy, which was pretty interesting. Wow, wow. Uh, <laughs> and I, I had a 10-pound boy who was very healthy, and um, and actually it's been 20 years. He, he'll be 20 years old this year. Wow. So um, I guess 
not long after that, though, I, I started writing a book about melanoma with my oncologist from UPenn. Mm-hmm. And um, I ran into a lot of people who had recurrences, um, you know, two to eight years after their diagnosis. So, you know, it, it kept coming back, you know, thinking that I could get it back. And so it, it's really hard, I know, for all patients, no matter how long you're out, um, kind of always have it in the back of your mind that it could come back. That worry, yeah, we hear that we hear that quite a bit, actually. Um, yeah, and, and to this day, I answer our, our helpline here, and, you know, I, I run into a lot of people that, you know, 18 years, 20 years out, you know, it can still come back. So it's still, you know, a little bit in the back of your mind. Yeah, yeah. Well, Suzanne, we know that, um, that, that obviously many, many cancers can be serious and some can be uh, even deadly, but um, tell us in, in particular, uh, why is melanoma so dangerous? What, what do we want? What do folks need to know about melanoma? Well, unlike other types of skin cancer, uh, melanoma is the one type of skin cancer that really has the highest likelihood of spreading Mm. um, and invading into other parts of the body. So um, it can, when it does do that, it can be quite serious, and it is unfortunately hard to treat at that point. Um, One of the good things about melanoma is because it is um, a type of cancer that first occurs in most cases on the surface of the skin, um, really if people are aware of different warning signs, then um, they, by looking at their skin and by their healthcare providers looking at their skin, then we really would hope to be able to diagnose uh, melanoma early because when it is diagnosed early, it is there's a very high chance um, that it will never come back again, so it, you know, higher than 90%. Um, chance that it would never come back again. So the important things for, you know, for people to know is really what to be looking for on their skin. So like Catherine said, she had really found a spot on her leg that was changing in color. I think she had said in color, but it changed the way it looked, and she had brought that to the attention of her um, healthcare provider, and that's really one of the main things we look for. So we look for any changes in skin lesions, um, and changes could be changes in color or the presence of different colors within a single mole. Mm-hmm. Um, if the edges of the melanoma or the board or the edges of a mole or the edges um, the border isn't regular. If it's a large mole, so if it's um, the diameter is greater than six millimeters or the size of a, about a pencil eraser, mm-hmm. and then if the if you kind of cut the mole in half and looked at both sides of it, if the two sides don't look the same, and not all melanomas kind of follow these rules, mm-hmm. but in general, it's a good you know kind of starting point for people to be aware of and um, to be looking for as they're examining their skin. Great. And Suzanne, I'm just going to tell our listeners if they want to get out a you know, pencil and a paper and start to write this down, we're going to go through that again. We're going to go through that list again um, a little bit for, uh, further along in the conversation because I know that uh, this might be really new information uh, to some folks and some of our listeners, and I want to make sure they have the chance to, to write that down and you know, even really discuss anything that they, they see as suspicious, really get in there and t- discuss it with their, with their doctor. So just want to let folks know we are going to come back to that conversation. We're going to go through that list again um, really thoroughly so, so people can take notes and really be aware of, of, uh, of what to look for. Um, Tim, I want to turn to you, and I, I would 
love for you to tell us a little bit about uh, the organization that you lead, the Melanoma Research Foundation. Sure. We, we were started in 1996 by a woman named Dinah Ashby who was diagnosed with melanoma. And she found after her diagnosis that the treatment options for her were really minimal uh, or even non-existent. Mm-hmm. And it, it is a deplorable situation to be told that you have a life-threatening illness and there's really not a lot that could be done about it. So she pulled together some of her friends and formed the Melanoma Research Foundation specifically to generate revenue to fund basic science research into understanding this disease and finding new treatments and cures. And unfortunately, she succumbed to her melanoma about eight months after that started. But um, following up on her passion and her commitment and her drive, the Melanoma Research Foundation has through the years uh, distributed millions of dollars to some of the leading scientists uh, in the world who are working in the field of melanoma. And uh, so we, we, our biggest resources are about research. We also have programs of education and support for patients because the research, frankly, is worthless unless patients know about it and benefit from it. And so, um, so tell us a little bit more. What, what, how do you tell us about the research that you guys are funding? How do you, um, how do you know who's doing what research? How do you make decisions about where the dollars go? Um, tell us a little bit more about that process there, Tim. I'm sure folks would be interested to hear that. Sure. We're very fortunate to have a scientific advisory committee that's comprised of the best and brightest minds working in the field of melanoma currently, and those include both basic science researchers and also uh, top-notch clinicians. Every year, uh, we issue an announcement of a, a grant cycle, and researchers submit proposals saying, here's an area I would like to support, or to, to explore, here's an area I want to work on. And uh, through our scientific advisory committee and their colleagues, each of those proposals is reviewed and given a rank. And the rank is based on the quality of the science, um, the, the proven ability of the researcher, and the likelihood that this research will have an impact on melanoma quickly. Uh, and then we fund through that scoring. We, we, we hit the top scoring grants and fund until we run out of money. And we do it through two different um, uh, avenues. One is for an established investigator. And those people get $100,000 a year for two years. And these are for scientists who have proven their worth and have a number of years of experience. But we also have a program that's for young investigators. And these are called the Career Development Awards because one of the big issues we face is that we need people to develop a career focusing on melanoma. And there's been uh, far too few people looking at this disease. So we believe that through these Career Development Awards, we can not only fund this piece of research, but actually launch an entire career where somebody will look at the, uh, the questions that need to be answered. And, and how many total dollars did you say that you're giving out in, uh, in research grants a year? This, this year we will distribute something over $800,000 for research. That's great. And those, those are going to individuals and institutions all across the country? Absolutely. And some of the top institutions across the country, uh, people will be receiving these funds. Wow. That, that, that's fantastic to know that, uh, you know that we have folks who are out there raising money for this research because I know that uh, sometimes... Melanoma is really thought to be a, um, a, a disease that sometimes is ignored and doesn't really get the attention that some of the other cancers get. Um, That's absolutely true. The, the percentage of money spent on melanoma compared to other cancers is minuscule, Yeah, and, uh, and we're looking to change that. That's fantastic, Tim. Thank you. Uh, this is frankly speaking about cancer. May is National Melanoma Awareness Month, and we're devoting the entire show today uh, to learning about melanoma, how we can prevent it and treat it. And we're going to take a break, and we will be right back. 
Your life, your health, your network. Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. For more than 25 years, the wellness community has been the nation's leader in providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at one of our 26 centers in the U.S. and abroad, the wellness community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-WELL or visit us online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. The Wellness Community, celebrating over 25 years of cancer support, education, and hope. It attacks the brain, and you might not know what hit you. It's a stroke, and it can cripple or kill you. If suddenly you're numb or weak on one side, limb, or face, it could be a stroke. Get help. There's no time to waste. It could even be a sudden, severe headache without cause. If you wait to get help, time lost is brain lost. Maybe it's a loved one slurring their speech or dizzy. Call 911 and get medical help quickly. There are even more symptoms that I did not mention. So call or hit the web for information and prevention. Blacks have a higher occurrence. Do you want to know more? Call 1-888-4-STROKE or visit www.strokeassociation.org. High blood pressure, diabetes, and obesity. All make the risk of a stroke more likely. But remember, if it happens, do not delay. Or disability might be the price you pay. A public service message brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. May is National Melanoma Awareness Month, and today we have three experts here to provide you with helpful information and tips if you or a loved one has been touched by melanoma. We're here with Suzanne McGettigan, oncology nurse practitioner at the University of Pennsylvania Abramson Cancer Center, Tim Turnham, who is the executive director of the Melanoma Research Foundation, and Catherine Poole, a melanoma survivor and president and founder of the Melanoma International Foundation. Uh, Catherine, let me turn back to you. Tell us a little bit about your organization, the Melanoma International Foundation. Uh, tell us about your history. What kind of services do you provide, and what, what do you want our audience to know about your organization? Well, it really, um, I started out with um, another organization, um, and it basically was just, I became a conduit of information for patients after I uh, wrote the book I was referring to earlier about melanoma. Patients just started calling me. And I wanted to provide services that I needed so desperately when I was diagnosed, and, and so that's what we did. And um, so formally, about five years ago, um, we created the Melanoma International Foundation. 
Our hotline, uh, which I answer, um, personally navigates each patient and family member, sometimes both. Sometimes I have them on both ends of the phone talking to me about their melanoma journey. Um, because melanoma doesn't have a direct path like uh, breast cancer or some of the other cancers, you don't you know, have an exact journey. It's, it's much more of, of reading up and trying to figure out what's best, especially in the later stages. So reassurance is our specialty here. It's something that I needed a lot, um, which I found very hard to find. And um, so we discuss treatments, providers, and clinical trials. Um, we help people understand their pathology, which is really the first step to understanding your diagnosis. And um, one family we helped with melanoma was that of uh, Congressman Dent from the Lehigh Valley, and, and he in turn helped to get the ball rolling. So melanoma received the uh, first time congressionally directed Department of Defense funding this year. And we're really pleased to see some funding, as Tim was saying, it's uh, severely underfunded melanoma. It's the forgotten cancer, I call it. Um, <clears throat> and where will that funding go, the Department of Defense Research funding? It will go to um, helping our service people um, who we have terrific problems with them in Iraq and Afghanistan, for instance. And it will go much broader beyond that, but certainly um, they need a lot of help. And, um, well, I can't tell you exactly where it's going yet because that's all being decided, but mm -hmm. hopefully it will be going to early detection for our service people. Wow. And, um, looking at all kinds of new dermatology techniques to uh, figuring out what they might have in the field, for mm -hmm. instance. And um, that we'll know, you know, in the near future. So if patients want to know, if someone's diagnosed with melanoma and they want to know, for example, the best doctor to go to where they live, is that something you can help them with? Exactly. And we often will um, pay their way. We pay for, you know, airfare and um, lodging for either second opinions or to get to a clinical trial. Mm -hmm. We help them get there as well because there are not a lot of melanoma specialists across the country. There, there's a lot concentrated on the East Coast and West Coast and not a whole heck of a lot in between. Mm -hmm. So um, we do help with that, and, and I think that's important. I don't think people should not be able to find that specialist if best, they best care, yeah. need it. So, and I know for myself, I traveled a bit to, to get to mine, and it was extremely valuable <laughs> to do so. Um, and I guess the other thing, we, we provide a forum and uh, on our Internet, um, on our website, and it's moderated by our scientific advisory board and myself to make sure um, everything's accurate, and, um, and people get a lot of reassurance there. That's that's become very popular in the last couple of years. And um, then we also have our, our website is actually um, based on the book I wrote, and a, a lot of the information is um, definitely verified by the Honor Code seal for truth and substance. And we think that's really important that people can trust the site and um, know that the information will be accurate. Great, Catherine. That's really very helpful um, information. And uh, just to let folks know, we're going to make sure we get you that website at the uh, at the end of our conversation today so that you have that information handy. Um, I want to turn the conversation to treatment options um, for melanoma, and I'd like 
you, Suzanne, if you would, to just walk us through, you know, what kinds of treatments are available for, uh, for people with melanoma so folks can really understand that. So when melanoma is first diagnosed, um, since the majority of cases do occur on the skin, the first treatment, um, as Catherine described earlier, is really surgery to remove the primary um, lesion, so the primary site of the melanoma. Mm -hmm. Depending on some characteristics that are identified on the pathology report um, or the biopsy report from that, um, a second surgery called a wide excision is usually needed. Um, And along with that wide excision, sometimes um, a procedure called a sentinel lymph node biopsy is done. During that procedure, um, lymph nodes are examined, again, under a microscope to determine if any melanoma cells have made their way or traveled to the lymph nodes um, in the area where the, prim- where the first melanoma was. Um, and then depending on the results of that, um, additional surgery may um, be done at that time. As far as moving, and really for early stage melanoma, that is the treatment, um, and no additional treatment is really needed after that. The, the surgery is the treatment. Correct. Okay. So surgery okay. would be the definitive treatment. Okay. There is, um, you know, kind of lifetime monitoring that needs to occur, though. So anyone that has been diagnosed with melanoma does um, need to have at least once a year skin exams for the rest of their life. Um, in the beginning, so initially right after their diagnosis, those skin exams would occur more, much more frequently than that. But at least annually for life, um, their skin should be examined. So is that because if you've been diagnosed with melanoma, you have a higher chance of getting it again? You do. So, okay. two, different, so two things are being looked at when, um, when a person with a history of melanoma would see their dermatologist, and that would be one looking for a new melanoma because there is a higher incidence of a second melanoma in someone that has already had one melanoma. And then the second thing that we would be looking for is any sign of a recurrence of that primary, of that first melanoma. Okay. And so that would really be looking at the skin as well as the lymph nodes and, um, again, depending on the stage and the likelihood of um, the melanoma to spread, looking at other, um, the rest of the body as well. And what if the what if the disease has spread, Suzanne? What if the melanoma has spread? Then what what what, did the, what does the treatment look like? Is it surgery as well, or so if surgery so surgery is oftentimes used if all of the disease can be surgically removed. Mm-hmm. So if just the lymph nodes are involved, but the, there is no disease kind of beyond the lymph nodes, and mm-hmm. surgery would be done. Um, the lymph nodes that are affected, as well as additional normal lymph nodes, are oftentimes removed. And then following that, um, there are a, there actually is only one um, FDA-approved treatment that is used, and that is interferon. Um, there are a lot of side effects to that treatment, um, so it is not appropriate for all people. What are the side effects, Suzanne? It really um, it is an immune agent, so it stimulates a person's own immune system, so it can cause flu-like symptoms, mm-hmm. um, a lot of fatigue, mm-hmm. um, some 
laboratory abnormalities, so changes in liver function tests, um, bone marrow functioning, um, and it is given over a year, so it can be a really difficult year. Um, So in addition to that, then there are a lot of clinical trials examining new ways to try and treat melanoma in that setting, Um, and most of those are either looking at ways to stimulate a person's own immune system, similar to interferon, Mm -hmm. but um, hopefully with fewer side effects, Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, also using chemotherapy drugs sometimes. Well, um, let me me turn to you, Tim. We have a couple minutes before our break, but it it seems like every day we're hearing exciting news about breakthroughs in cancer treatment, um, but we're not hearing much about melanoma. So tell us a little bit more about what you see coming down the uh, the pipeline for melanoma treatments. Are we going to see more and more effective treatments for, for melanoma in the future? Well, I, I think this is a very exciting time for people working in the field of melanoma because things are changing. Uh, currently, if you're diagnosed with metastatic melanoma, stage 4 meta, uh, melanoma, the standard of care is to enroll a person in a clinical trial. And, and that's just not a good treatment option. But in the last five to eight years, Researchers have uncovered that melanoma is not a single disease, but a a cluster of different breakdowns that cause normal cells to become cancerous. So by looking at each of those breakdowns individually, we can learn a lot about treatment options. And so researchers are looking at those genetic changes, those metabolic pathways that are affected in these breakdowns, and coming up with new therapies to test and to treat. And what's become apparent is that it it, it will require probably a couple of different, maybe even three different drugs working together. But for the first time, we can begin to test those and really examine the effectiveness of those in combination. Everyone I've talked to believes that the landscape for patients will be significantly different in a few years. And the only question is, what does few mean? Yeah. Uh, this is why the Melanoma Research Foundation is we're redoubling our efforts to put more and more money into research and looking specifically at translational research, pulling together a number of different people from different centers to work together um, around some of these specific therapy options that may be developing. Uh, we believe that with enough support and enough people working together, we can make that few years change from being five to seven to maybe being three to five. And Excellent. Well, it's a huge difference for patients. Yeah. No. It's. It's. Um. I think that that's. Uh. You know. That's critical, especially for people who are listening today, who uh, you know, who are dealing with melanoma. Um. This is frankly speaking about cancer. May is National Melanoma Awareness Month. We're talking about melanoma uh, for the entire show today, and we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. For more than 25 years, the wellness community has been the nation's leader in providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or 
or at one of our 26 centers in the U.S. and abroad, the wellness community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-WELL or visit us online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. The Wellness Community, celebrating over 25 years of cancer support, education, and hope. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm joined today by Tim Turnham, who's the Executive Director of the Melanoma Research Foundation, Suzanne McGettigan, an oncology nurse practitioner uh, at the University of Pennsylvania Abramson Cancer Center, and Catherine Pooley, survivor and president and founder of the Melanoma International Foundation. As I mentioned at the start of the show, the wellness community collaborated with several leading organizations in the melanoma community to develop our newest educational booklet, Frankly Speaking About Cancer, Melanoma. Uh, Tim, tell us, why did the Melanoma Research Foundation think it was important to partner with the wellness community um, on our newest uh, educational booklet, our newest, frankly speaking, program on melanoma? Well, I mean, first of all, patients need all the tools that they can get to learn how to deal with their disease. I mean, when you're diagnosed with cancer, regardless of what that cancer is, um, it's, it's paralyzing and, and it's isolating, and you're overwhelmed emotionally, psychologically, uh, so having tools that give you information and practical guidance on how to deal with this is significantly important. Uh, the wellness community has established over the years uh, a solid reputation of working with people with cancer in a way that actually helps. It's very practical, very pragmatic, helps people deal with the full spectrum of the impact of, of cancer. And so when a nonprofit like the Melanoma Research Foundation looks to create materials to support patients, we have two choices. Do we do it by ourselves or do we work with other people? And in this case, it was a no-brainer. I mean, we work with the people who do this day in and day out across the cancer spectrum, and you guys know how to do it perfectly well, and it was a great honor to be part of this program. That's great, Tim. It's just It's been a wonderful collaboration among all of us, and um, we're really excited to get this Piece launched uh, even uh, even this month, and we'll tell folks more about that at the uh, at the end of our show. Um, Catherine, why, t- tell us a little bit about why you think the booklet will be valuable uh, to patients and to their family members and, and and caregivers, and tell us about just really the importance of, of of education and 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 outreach and community when 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 facing a diagnosis of melanoma. Well, I think when you're diagnosed with melanoma, you're feeling very vulnerable and out of control. And I think, um, you know, the more knowledge you have, the more empowered you are as a patient, and then you can relax a little bit more through it. So I think that's really important. I think uh, this booklet really uh, arms the patient with the right information. I think I really liked uh, the wealth of the psychological support information from the wellness community and um, I didn't think it was too heavy on the treatment of melanoma, which is so variable. It would be pretty hard to, to go heavy on that. 
Yeah. And it, it addresses a lot of the issues that are um, out of your provider's realm. You know, and the providers have so little time to spend with patients and families. So I think this, this will help. This will be a great tool to, to help patients and families and fill that void that they can't get from their provider. Great. Excellent. I, you know, I know that's certainly our, you know, expertise at the wellness community is to, to, to provide support and education and help, help people find hope, you know, in the face of a cancer diagnosis and also to find communities, whether it be a, you know, community uh, in your own neighborhood or an online community, um, you know, lots of ways to get connected with others who are also going through, uh, going through the cancer experience. Um, Suzanne, I want to go back to, you know, we're in May. It's Melanoma Awareness Month. Um, we're moving into the summer months. And uh, I want to go back to the, the, the prevention and detection uh, issues. I'm hoping our folks have had a chance to get out a paper and a pencil and, um, and, and you can walk them through, through, through the steps of, you know, what to look for, how often you're supposed to get a, a, an exam, what to look for on your own body, um, and, you know, what some of those sort of warning signs are, um, and, and also what we know about, uh, you know, about prevention. If you could walk us through that, that would be great. Sure. Well, I think it's important to know that there are a few um, kind of risk factors that, we kn- that people should be aware of. So people who have skin that tends to burn easily, um, people with a lot of freckles, um, a lot of abnormal moles or just a lot of moles covering their bodies, anyone who has a family history of melanoma or a personal history of melanoma, and then anyone that has a history of other types of non-melanoma skin cancer is at higher risk for um, developing melanoma. And then probably the biggest thing that, the biggest risk factor that is actually modifiable or something that people can have a positive influence on is really UV exposure. Mm -hmm. So really both natural um, ultraviolet ray exposure as well as um, artificial UV ray exposure. So tanning beds and tanning salons is one thing that people could avoid to really, you know, kind of lower or not raise, if you will, their risk for developing melanoma. Um, so some of the other things that people can do to prevent a melanoma really would be kind of following safe sun um, habits, so avoiding peak sun exposure times, wearing sunscreen daily, um, and sunscreen really should protect against both UVA and UVB rays. Um, wearing protective clothing, which it would include um, wide-brimmed hats, um, sunglasses and protective clothing, and then really trying to avoid burning um, and any sunburns. As far as self-monitoring, mm-hmm. people should um, generally look at their skin just about once a month, um, any more frequently, and it would be hard to really detect any changes. But about once a month, they should look um, at their skin um, and look for any um, we call it the ABCDEs of melanoma. So A stands for asymmetry, which means that one side of the mole would not look like the other side mm-hmm. um, if it was cut in half. Um, irregular borders is B. So if you looked at the edges of the, of the lesion, um, instead of being smooth, which normal moles would be, uh, melanoma tends to be wavy or sometimes scalloped in nature. Mm-hmm. Look at the color. Um, and not necessarily just dark moles, but any moles that have multiple different colors within a single mole, or 
where there has been change in the color of a mole. Okay. And then D is for diameter, um, so greater than 6 millimeters, which is about the size of a pencil eraser. And then E is for evolution, so any change over time. Um, so if there was, if a mole started to get bigger, if it became itchy, if the color changed, if there was any bleeding associated with it, or if there had been a mole in a particular area and it just disappeared. Those are all things that um, people should bring to the attention of their dermatologist if they have one, and if not, to their primary care provider. Um, so that, that could be checked out. And um, so, so it is okay to bring to, to to go first to your primary care provider. I mean, as you said, maybe not everybody has a dermatologist that they see on a regular basis. Right. I mean, I I think um, primary care providers have various varying experience um, with skin cancer in general, but um, with a lot of people's insurance, they have to go through their primary right. care provider first. Right. And many people don't have a dermatologist and. Um, Oftentimes it is difficult to, um, as your first step, to get in to see a dermatologist. So the primary care provider could hopefully help with um, kind of speeding that process up if it needed to occur. Okay. All right. Excellent. Um, Catherine, I just wanted to ask you, I, I know that um, uh, I, I have some teenage uh, nieces and nephews, and uh, I know when we were certainly teenagers and young adults, we would be out there in the sun constantly doing sports and playing, and, and uh, you sort of feel like, you know, you can kind of do whatever you want to do, and, and uh, um, so I, I know that um, we see a lot of young people out there in the sun quite a bit and not wearing sunscreen or wanting to get that great tan, and um, do you see particular programs or education targeted at, at young people, at teenagers, at young adults with these, uh, uh, with these messages? Do you, do you think we need to be getting these messages about prevention and awareness out to folks when they're, you know, when they're younger? Because obviously, you know, the older we get, we get a little more sensitive to these issues. But um, do you think we need to be doing more with, uh, with young folks? Oh, absolutely. Um, we actually have educational programs for K through 8, and then we have um, programs for the high schools. Uh, we are targeting... Uh, teens and preteens on um, trying to get them to not go to tanning salons. And um, as was mentioned, um, they're very dangerous. They're, are, they're, they as, are they as dangerous as the sun or more dangerous? More than dangerous. More dangerous. Fifteen minutes under a tanning lamp is equal to a whole day on the beach. Fifteen minutes, say that again, fifteen minutes under a tanning lamp is equal, is equal to a whole day. To a whole day. Wow. On the beach. And so we have a, a program actually called the Prom Pledge where we go into the high schools and we ask the teens to pledge not to go to a tanning salon. In return, we give them rewards of varying degrees. And um, we found that to be very successful. We also talked to them about um, the lack of regulation for tanning salons and that they could pick up, like, some really icky um, skin diseases because they're, they're naked in those beds. And yeah. uh, we talk about grown-ups ripping them off. And <laughs> that actually works pretty well. The tobacco industry has been using that. You know, the, you know, the tobacco industry uh, is definitely ripping off the, the youngsters, and I've, I've heard different, different people say that works. So we don't say you're going to die because teenagers think they will live forever. Yeah. Um, the other thing that um, we've come to the conclusion is that you can't really lecture them about sun exposure, and it's better to get them to examine their 
skin, as Suzanne was pointing out. And if you can just, you know, we've run into a lot of tanning addicts um, in our different uh, uh, educational programs from, from child to adult, and we just talk about examining your skin. So at least they can catch it early. We will be very, very pleased. And I think we have to be realistic that our society thinks a, a tan is a is a healthy thing, and it's we're not going to turn that around and for a long time. But if we can get people to think, oh, my skin's a very, very important body organ. It protects all my other body organs. You know, I really should examine it and take care of it. And then, you know, eventually maybe we'll turn at least that thought around. It, so, so to go back for a minute, is it is it true that people with fair skin have a greater risk of melanoma than those with a darker skin tone? Usually, if you go to a, a, a meeting of melanoma patients, everybody has red and blonde hair, a lot of redheads. They have freckles. They're fair-skinned, and they easily burn, certainly, and I, I'm one of them, um, and that's how I got my melanoma, I'm sure, from many sunburns as a child. But, um, yes. But Is it harder for those folks to monitor themselves if they do have a lot of freckles or do have... I mean, is it hard to, because I mean, I know I have a lot of freckles too, and sometimes I point them out to the doctor and they go, oh, that's nothing, you know, but I, sometimes I think it's a little harder when you have a lot of freckles. Freckles and moles. Actually, if you have more than, than 10 moles or 20 moles, um, I would highly suggest people um, get photographed, and many dermatologists are doing that now. They take your photograph, um, uh, full-body photographs, and you get a copy on a CD, and the doctor keeps a copy, and then you can compare, yeah. you know, in a very uh, scientific manner rather than memory. Not many of us can remember right, if we had have this those or records. That. Yeah. Catherine, yeah. we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back with Frankly Speaking About Cancer. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. For more than 25 years, the wellness community has been the nation's leader in providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or or at one of our 26 centers in the U.S. and abroad, the wellness community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-WELL or visit us online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. The Wellness Community, celebrating over 25 years of cancer support, education, and hope. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. Welcome. 
Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. May is National Melanoma Awareness Month, and today we've been discussing treatment options, new discoveries in melanoma research, prevention, screening, and really just generally how to cope with a, a melanoma diagnosis. Um, Suzanne, we've talked a little bit about some of the medical issues, some of the treatments coming down the pike and in development, but how important is it to get social and emotional support when you've been diagnosed with melanoma? I think that is one of the most important things. Um, You know, Catherine mentioned earlier and Tim had mentioned that really the diagnosis of melanoma can really be disabling and shocking and, um, you know, hard to kind of incorporate into a person's kind of normal daily life. Um, And as someone learns to live with that diagnosis, the... um, the roller coaster ride of it kind of continues and that there's always waiting for um, the next office visit. Um, and, it's, and it can be very challenging and very emotionally draining. So it is very important for people to have good social supports. Um, sometimes these can be friends or they could be family members um, or people oftentimes can find this support through support groups. Um, and kind of leaning on other people that have been through similar experiences. Um, one thing I always um, advocate for my patients is really to any time that they're getting important information when they are going to see a um, health care provider is really to bring a f- someone along with them mm-hmm. um, so that any time they're getting that type of information, they always have two sets of ears listening to it and hearing it um, because two people can hear the same thing and, and, you know, kind of absorb very different information from the same conversation. So um, kind of when you're hearing information about yourself, it's often even more difficult to um, hear that and truly understand what it means. So um, I think, you know, having that support is, is definitely essential for anyone. Great. Excellent. Excellent. Um, well, we're, we're, we are getting towards the end of our show. Um, we have a little bit more time to, to, uh, to chat with our guests here. But what I'd love to do is ask each of you uh, this question. I'd love to ask um, what advice you would give to someone who has just been uh, diagnosed with melanoma. You all obviously have a great amount of knowledge um, uh, on this issue, and I'm sure we have some folks who are listening today who perhaps have just been diagnosed with melanoma or someone in their family has just been diagnosed with melanoma. And uh, I'd love to hear from each of you. I'm going to start with Tim, but I'd love to hear from each of you what advice uh, you would give to those folks. Uh, Tim? Yeah, I think, I think the most important thing is to become your own advocate for your health care. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you turn yourself over to the treatment team and says, tell me what to do and I'll do it, you may have a very good outcome, but you may not. And um, you know, the, the treatment team, they're educated, they're trained about what works for melanoma, but they may not know what works for your melanoma in terms of your priorities in life and what you want to focus on. So becoming your own advocate, is it's a challenge. Um, you need to know how to ask questions. You need to know how to receive information that, in a lot of cases, is couched in a language you're not familiar with. Uh, one of the things that's great about this new booklet, the Frankly Speaking About Cancer, is it gives a lot of practical tips on how to do that better. But uh, I think finding a community of other patients will help you become an advocate in a way that's healthy and positive. Um, Catherine mentioned their forum, uh, the Melanoma Research Foundation hosts a group called the um, uh, MPIP, which is the Melanoma Patient Information Portal, uh, MPIP.org. 
to the website, a lot of patients on there with a lot of information. Uh, so kind of taking control of your own health care, learning what the treatment options are, figuring out what works best for you and where you should have that treatment done will give you a sense of control and I think give you the chance to live as long and as well as possible. Excellent. Thanks, Thanks Tim. Uh, Catherine, let me ask you the same question. Advice for someone who's just been diagnosed with melanoma. Um, take a deep breath. Uh, live in the moment. Um, I work with a... Actually, I have a, a lot of patients we work with that are... Um, very low risk, but, you know, really having more of a problem than, than the more serious patients. And and I think part of it is that they don't know how to live in the moment and, and try not to venture to the past or the future. That really can help you get through. And um, next, I would get a copy of your pathology report. Try to understand it as it's your really, really crucial to your prognosis and, you know, our organization can help you understand it, and books can, and so on. But it's just a really important piece of um, information to know more about. And as Suzanne mentioned, get a support person to come with you to your next appointment. Um, I know for myself, when I was diagnosed and I went to my appointments, I would ask the best questions, but I didn't hear a word they said. When they <laughs> yeah, those answers, yeah, yeah. Not a word. I, yeah. You know, and I started taping them because I just was, you're in this uh, fright and flight reflex. You, you can't help it. Your life's been threatened, so you can't really think real well. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and also, be sure to get a provider who specializes in melanoma. Um, that was really, really important to me and a, and a turning point in, in my diagnosis and treatment. It was like night and day, frankly. Yeah. So it's really important to get to a... a Cancer center or somebody, even if you're low risk, it honestly can be really, really helpful to be to with those, someone. Who get to those experts. Excellent, Catherine. Thank you. And quickly, Suzanne, I'm going to ask you the same. What, what advice would you have for someone who's just been diagnosed with melanoma? Well, to add to what Tim and Catherine said, the only other thing I would add is really just not to be afraid to ask for help, whether that's from you know some of the organizations that have already been mentioned today or from friends, from family, or from your healthcare providers. Um, you know, oftentimes, as the healthcare providers, we're relying on um, patients and people coming into our office to really give us the information and tell us what um, they need. And we'll try and ask the right questions, but sometimes that's challenging. So just don't be afraid to ask for help from regardless of who it is because um, this is such a challenging diagnosis and something that, you know, people are living with for the rest of their lives. So as easy as we can make that, um, we want to do that. And, you know, their friends and family do as well. Thank you. these These are all great tips. Get empowered, get educated, get advice, ask questions. Uh, bring somebody to your appointment, uh, all really uh, great tips for folks who are listening today. Um, I, I want to get some of these resources out to folks before we wrap up the show today. Uh, the Wellness Community's newest publication, Frankly Speaking About Cancer, uh, Melanoma, will be available at the end of this month. For more information, you can call us at 888-793-WELL, W-E-L-L, or you can go to www.wellnesscommunities.com. 
thewellnesscommunity.org. As I mentioned, we partnered with several organizations to develop the booklet, including the Melanoma Research Foundation and the Melanoma International Foundation. Uh, If you'd like to learn more about the Melanoma International Foundation, go to www.melanomaintl.org. If you'd like to contact... uh, let's see, we said the Melanoma Research, uh, Melanoma Research Foundation is www.melanoma.org, excuse me. Melanoma International Foundation is melanomaintl.org. Uh, if you'd like to contact AIM at Melanoma, you can go to www.aimatmelanoma.org. And then the Shade Foundation is www.shadefoundation.org. I think I got all those right. <laughs> can well I actually, could I make a correction? Oh, quickly, yep. Uh, it's uh, Ours is uh, www.safefromthesun.org. Safe from the sun? Yes. Great. Thank you very much. Uh, and then, Tim, it's melanoma.org. Is that right? That's exactly right. Thank you. Fantastic. And uh, we want to dedicate the show today to uh, all people who are affected by melanoma. We know there are a lot of patients out there who've just been diagnosed. There are survivors. There are family members who've been touched by this disease, and we want uh, them to know that we are thinking about them today. Um, Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer, and until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org.